0: Ellie Nelson, Episode 6, Touchdowns and Turbuckles, the AFL. What is going on, buddy?
1: Hey, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Um, yeah, this is our yeah. penultimate episode. Uh, one more to go right before the Super Bowl. So, yeah, this one's about the AFL. And, yeah, it should be, should be interesting. Some fun guys to talk about. Uh, one guy that's super obscure uh, <laughs> to talk about. Um okay. Yeah, yeah, this will be fun, man. Kelly, why don't you give
0: us a little background on the AFL before we jump into the guys?
1: Yeah, I, I figured we don't need to go into depth like we did with the Edmonton Eskimos or the CFL or whatever. Um, yeah. The AFL was formed in 1960 by a group of individuals who basically wanted uh, expansion teams into the NFL, but the NFL wouldn't allow them. Uh, they did. I don't think the NFL wanted to exp- even expand at all at that mm. point. But I think the long game was always, by the by the AFL guys, was to eventually force a merger, which they did. So they started in 1960, a bit of a rough start. Uh, the early years were some teams struggled mightily, uh, that's for sure. The New York Titans uh, played in the old polo grounds, which was a decrepit stadium, a baseball <laughs> stadium for years with the New York Giants before they left for San Francisco for baseball, and they they were so unsuccessful, they basically rebranded as the Jets and started almost from scratch, and then they played in Shea Stadium, which was new. Um, but they survived their rough early days, got a, a new contract with NBC. That helped a lot, and then they started uh, definitely fighting over draft picks with the NFL for the top guys coming in, uh, the m- most famous one being Joe Namath, who the Jets signed. Uh, That was definitely wanted by the NFL. It was a huge star coming out of college, coming out of Alabama. And not too long after that, probably a year later, they finally did the merger with uh, the two sides agreeing to come together. It took about four years for them to integrate the schedules, uh, but they did play the Super Bowl. That first year after the merger, the first Super Bowl, well, it wasn't even called the Super Bowl at first for the first couple of years. And then in 1970, they fully integrated and we get the AFC, which was the AFL. The NFL is the NFC to combine. They're the NFL. Uh, the NFL had to send over three teams to the AFL to uh, balance things out. Those Pittsburgh, uh, the Baltimore Colts and the Cleveland Browns and then you had the nfc afc and the combined nfl in 1970 so that's a short history of the afl and today we're talking about guys uh future pro wrestlers who made their fame in the afl uh some more than others uh for sure two biggies uh and then two guys that are like marginal but i i you know i looked for for better options couldn't really find them you know but here we are uh it, it The two biggies are are worth doing the episode alone, that's for sure. But it's also interesting to talk about uh, some of these guys, or at least the one guy that's totally unknown. Um, So yeah, let's get right into it.
0: And everyone, that was right off the cuff. Kelly wasn't even prepped for that.
1: (laughs) I know, I mean, yeah, I I have a great, uh, like, uh, general knowledge of a lot of things, and uh, pro football history is one of
0: them especially the AFL of the 1960s. Kudos to you, buddy. All right, let's jump right into the list here, buddy. All right, Kelly, up here first, we have Wahoo McDaniel.
1: Yeah, Chief Wahoo, one of the the bigger names that we've discussed in this whole long journey. Uh, as far as a wrestling star, but he was also a, a significant football star, as we'll see here. So, Wahoo was born Edward Hugh McDaniel, June 19th, 1938, in Bernice, Louisiana. And his football height and weight were six foot one and 235 pounds. And yeah, he eventually ended up in Oklahoma and he went to the University of Oklahoma from 1957 to 1959 so three years there he had a really interesting college uh story that i just discovered uh as i was researching like i knew he had gone to oklahoma but i didn't know the particulars so he was a linebacker uh and also right guard i think um and also a punter but the, that's actually more of his pro um positions because actually it seems like at the university of Oklahoma he played mostly wide receiver and running back. I think he was a running back his first year and then a wide receiver uh, and a kick returner the other years. And um, the interesting thing about Wahoo at Oklahoma is he holds still to this day the record for a punt um, by a player at Oklahoma at 91 yards. And to add to that, he also returned a punt 92, 92 yards for a touchdown in a game. And he also caught at one point an 86-yard TD pass. So at Oklahoma, he was the king of the, these huge yardage plays. And, um, and like I said, one record still stands to this day at uh, the University of Oklahoma, which is saying a lot because Oklahoma is a storied program. So yeah, 57 to 59, that picture right there is from his days at Oklahoma, number 40. Uh looking like I wouldn't want to be in front of him, whereas he's barreling down the field. <laughs> but he doesn't really well, look like a punter. <laughs> no, that's the thing. But we'll see. There's a picture of him punting. And yes, he de- oh, yeah. definitely didn't look, didn't fit the mold, at least of the, the modern punter. But things were different back then. There wasn't really too many specialist punters or even kickers. It usually uh, went to somebody, you know, whoever Uh, who was on the team, who was the best kicker or punter. That was you, and uh, it wasn't your specialty. But anyway, so Wahoo had a pretty successful career at Oklahoma. Oklahoma was a power. They had just – he missed out on on their dynasty, though, because I believe 56 was their last national championship in the 50s, and then uh, they didn't win another until the 70s, so he just missed out. Um, Bill Watts, of course, was a – a teammate of his at Oklahoma. And we discussed that a few episodes ago. So he went to the AFL. He was drafted in the second round of the inaugural AFL draft in 1960 by the LA Chargers. And I couldn't find, um, well, he didn't actually play for the LA Chargers. He was drafted by them. I don't know what happened, but he ended up with the Houston Oilers in 1960. And only one year with the Houston Oilers. And then he ended up, Uh, in Denver with the Broncos for three seasons, 1961, 62, and 63. And then he went to the New York Jets, 64, 65. That's definitely a picture of him from the New York Jets. And it was in New York. Well, actually, I'll say one more thing. He played for the Dolphins too, uh, 67, 68. Uh, 66 was the Dolphins' first year. That was their expansion year. So he was a member of the expansion Miami Dolphins. So all told, he played uh, nine years, uh, nine out of the 10 years that the AFL was its own uh, distinct league, which is impressive. And he played for four different teams. So uh, beginning in 1964, though, with the Jets, he he did a cool thing. He started wearing Wahoo on the back of his jersey instead of uh, McDaniel, which was, uh, I don't know if this was something, uh, a lot of uh, players in the AFL did, I don't, putting nicknames on the back, or if Wahoo was unique. Um, it was already his nickname. Uh, the fans would chant Wahoo, Wahoo at games. He was a fan favorite in New York, and he started wrestling um, in 1961, but uh, he, he wrestled when he was in New York. Uh, it was actually the only time he ever wrestled for the McMahon family was when he played for the Jets, uh, those two seasons he never went back and there we see him punting that's him with the miami dolphins though and yeah he was a big boy You can see clearly wahoo on the back and actually blocking the punt was marty schottenheimer future head coach oh, wow. yeah and at this time he was playing for the buffalo bills and marty schottenheimer would become a is a successful regular season coach if nothing else uh, in the 80s and 90s but was known for his uh, lack of playoff success as a coach. Anyway, um so like I said, yeah, Wahoo started wrestling in 61, so you know, just after he started pro football, he was trained by Dory Funk senior. So there's a connection there with the West Texas side of things. Yeah, and probably he wrestled uh in Amarillo in the old Amarillo territory at first. And yeah, like I said, he wrestled. He was a solid mid Carter in New York in in the 60s, in the mid-60s, but it was after he left, and actually in Florida, so while he was playing for the Dolphins, he became a big star in the Florida territory in the late 60s, and then in the 70s into the 80s, Wahoo was a huge star. Um, That's a cool... That's uh, one of his uh, trading cards. Again, wearing a uh, Jets jersey, but it's for the Dolphins because that would have came out before I guess the Dolphins had even played a game since they were an expansion team. So yeah, looking good there. And yeah, like I said, he was a major wrestling star from the sixties to the eighties. We're going to be looking, I mean, in the, it was mostly a star in the Southern territories, but also a star in the AWA. And we're going to be looking at a match uh, of his from the AWA in the 1980s. Yeah. Known for his bloody brawls. He was one of the great bleeders, uh, many wrestling uh, magazine covers with Wahoo's bloody face on them. We're going to talk about a match where he uh, wore the crimson mask later. And he passed away over 20 years ago, April 18th, 2002. Unfortunately, the story is he didn't really take care of himself over the years. He liked to party. And (laughs) when his health started to fail him, he didn't really do anything to uh, correct that. He just kept on partying and unfortunately yeah passed away at quite a young age he was only what just in his early 60s but yeah uh memorable football player and a very famous pro wrestler that's Wahoo McDaniel
0: Kelly Nelson, up next is Ron Pritchard. Tell us about this unknown of Ron.
1: Yeah, this is, like you said, um, probably the most uh, unknown guy we've talked about since Buckets Goldenberg. Um, yeah, we didn't have any Wayne matches London. of Buckets. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, Wayne mine. We didn't have any matches of Wayne to look at, and we don't have any matches of Ron Pritchard's to look at. I, I tried to find them, but uh, they're just not out there, at least on YouTube. But he did play in the AFL and he did uh, wrestle. So here we go. So he was born April 2nd, 1947 in Chicago. He too, like Wahoo, uh, was six foot one and 235 pounds, the exact same measurements. And yeah, he was a fairly well-known, well, well, or, you know, maybe not well-known, but a well-respected player. He was uh, a linebacker like Wahoo. And he went to Arizona State from approximately 1965. I'm not sure the exact time he started, but he went until 1968. He was definitely, or 1968 was definitely his last year in college. And uh, he was renowned enough in college to be inducted into the College Hall of Fame in 2003. So that's not it's nothing to sneeze at. And he has a connection. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about him, was his connection to Wayne Coleman, aka Superstar Billy Graham, and when he was still going to Arizona State, uh, him and Superstar, the future Superstar Graham, uh, bounced at the same bar in the uh, in Arizona around the Arizona State area and became friends that way. And it was actually Pritchard that um, suggested to to Superstar Graham. To go to Calgary and and become a pro wrestler, even though Graham, as we uh, talked about, had went to Calgary before to play football. But coincidentally, he went back home to Arizona and then went back to Calgary for a completely different reason uh, to become a wrestler. The the two weren't related at all, but it was because of Pritchard, uh, because Pritchard had already got into wrestling and was trained by Stu Hart, just like uh, superstar Billy would be. Uh, Back to his football days, he was, like I said, highly regarded coming out of college. He was drafted 15th overall in the 1969 NFL draft by the Houston Oilers, so pretty high. And this was a common draft. The AFL and NFL had agreed to a merger. They were doing the Super Bowl, and they'd also um, instituted a a common draft, even though the schedules uh, wouldn't be integrated into the following year. So both uh, leagues were drafting at this time. Houston Oilers, there's an action shot of Pritchard. I love those old Oilers helmets uh, with the baby blue. Very cool. Looks like he's maybe uh, forcing a fumble with that tackle. Not too bad on someone from the New York Jets. And yeah, so he counts as an AFL guy because 1969 was the last year that the AFL was its own separate league and they didn't uh, have a common schedule with the NFL. And then 1970 was the first year of the common schedule. So he just barely squeaks in as an AFL guy. um, His first year, his rookie year, 1969. He played uh, four seasons with the Oilers, 69 to 72. And then he ended up with the Cincinnati Bengals, also a um, AFL franchise Although uh, um, an expansion AFL franchise, they were the last team to be uh, added to the AFL before the merger. I think their first year was 1968. And yeah, so he did play for two AFL franchises. Although by the time he played for the Bengals, they were part of the NFL. I uh, played for the Bengals for six seasons, 1972 to 1977. So he had a pretty long football career, 69 yeah. through 77. Here he is with a trading card linebacker with the Bengals. And like I said, he was trained by Stu Hart and began wrestling in the off season football off season in 1970. And as far as I can tell, he only wrestled until 1974, at least as, as like a regular off season wrestler. And there's uh, some, or there was a record of him wrestling as late as 1981. In a battle royal in San Francisco, but I think he only came for a few uh, spots here and there after 1974. So he didn't have a long career. But I think he was—they used his uh, football fame to push him, um, which was always something uh, wrestling promoters love to do. You know, to show this is a real tough guy from or from football. Uh, wrestling is obviously on par with these guys. You know, it gave wrestling legitimacy back in those days when uh kayfabe was strictly enforced and, and stuff like that mattered. In that picture, he's with uh, a guy we're going to be talking about at the end, Ernie Ladd. And in the middle, the lady is Ann Gunkel. She was uh, the promoter of All South Wrestling in Georgia, which is an interesting story in its own right, but I won't get into it here. One of the reasons there isn't footage of Pritchard out there is he was with some Companies that there really isn't any footage of. There's very little of All South out there. Um, And also because he was mostly done by 1974. There's just it was it was basically 1975 onwards was where you started getting more and more footage available. And then you had VCRs and people taping it. So he missed the whole he missed the VCR era. So unfortunately, I'm sure there is footage of him out there. It's just not on YouTube. Uh, it's maybe it's my new holy grail <laughs> to find a Ron Pritchard match. But uh, yeah. Um, anyway, he was a fairly accomplished football player. And I think he was like a mid card at best. Maybe he had some main events. I'm not too sure as a wrestler, but he had that AFL connection. And so, and he's a college football hall of famer. So that's great. Right. He's still living. And yeah, um, maybe this will begin a, uh, uh, a deeper appreciation into the the career of Ron Pritchard as both a wrestler and a football player.
0: I love it, Kelly. I love it. All <laughs> right, let's go check out the next. Kelly Nelson, a guy that looks like everyone's uncle, Blackjack Mulligan. Tell us all about him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, <laughs> for me, it's more my some cousins of mine and my brother uh, <laughs> look like Blackjack Mulligan, and I'm trying my best to look like Blackjack Mulligan these days too. But I, I don't a cowboy I hat. It I'll be all right. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm i you know I grew up in Calgary, so that I should have a cowboy hat, but I don't. Um, And I love this picture (laughs) because he has the classic U.S. title like Wahoo did in in the picture for him. Uh, So I always uh, love a chance to display that belt. Anyway, so this is another one sort of had to stretch on uh, to count as an AFL guy. Anyway, uh, Blackjack was born Robert Wyndham, November 25th, 1942 in Sweetwater, Texas. And he was a giant of a man six foot nine, 280 pounds. And now this guy of all the guys we've talked to or talked about before. And, and probably we'll talk about after has the most mysterious, uh, football, uh, career. I couldn't find a single picture of him playing football for one. (laughs) So I had to get creative with the pitcher choices and two, I couldn't find what position, uh, blackjack played, uh, just nowhere i looked on the internet different sources books that i had and i just couldn't find a mention of any position but uh, i think we'll we have a spot for him anyway he went to texas western college and that's the logo you see there they're now known as utep the university of texas el paso um they were once renowned for their basketball i mean uh, texas western famously in 1966 defeated the University of Kentucky in the, the championship game for the NCAA tournament. And they famously had an all-black starting lineup, which was you know unprecedented at that time. And they went against the all-white Kentucky team. And it's, it's looked at as sort of like a, a symbol of the civil rights era of that time. It was 1966. So that's what Texas Western College was most known for. Eventually, they became UTEP uh blackjack played for them in the early 60s uh just basically i'm guessing this cuz i couldn't find any exact dates but based on when he played for the jets it had to be there uh apparently it was only for a couple years and apparently it was pretty good because he got to at least uh, try out for the new york jets in 1966 and played with them in the 1966 preseason and i believe he broke his leg during the preseason uh as the story goes anyway i'm not sure if he was going to make the team or not and that's a, a program from 1966 and i i didn't notice it at first but it's uh with the jets against the boston patriots so boston patriots, you must yep. you must like that yeah that's what uh the patriots were known as i think for their whole run in the afl um before they they switched to the more uh general new england uh, i guess to appeal to everybody in the region um well and they weren't playing in boston anymore because they used to play in, play in fenway boston. park yeah. yeah that would have been interesting to see uh some games how they squeezed a football field into into that park um but they used well, to they do, do. I mean,
0: they still do it. They play a bowl game there every year, and it was uh, that's it right. Was Boston College versus I'll think of it before at the end of the podcast. But yeah, they just played it this year,
1: right? They've done it in a, in a few places like Yankee Stadium, yeah. uh, Wrigley Field. I don't but back in the day, those those baseball stadiums were in a lot of like maybe the majority were uh, where the football teams played their games because the yeah. football was playing catch up in popularity. Baseball was established, so there wasn't enough money to justify like a football-only stadium at first. So you had, uh, you know, the New York Giants played in Yankee Stadium, Chicago Blair- Bears played in Wrigley Field, uh, Detroit Lions played in Tiger Stadium, uh, and then the Boston Patriots played in Fenway Park.
0: They played uh, and- SMU as we get out of here. They played SMU, so a oh, team okay. that we've talked about
1: in the past. Yes, yes. that I knew it was familiar up, to us. That's why I wanted to look it up. Come up a few times, Fritz Von Erich's alma mater. And yeah, so that's a program from 1966, the year that uh, Blackjack played in the preseason for the Jets, and, but he went no further. Like I said, he broke his leg, and he did apparently have tryouts for the Denver Broncos and the New Orleans, New Orleans Saints, and I think the Saints didn't exist until 1967, so that would have been a year later. So he still uh, tried to give it a go as a professional football player for a couple of years, but it just didn't work out despite his uh, immense size. But he got into wrestling, of course, and uh, he got into wrestling because of Wahoo Neal, who has become like the the human butterfly effect for a lot of these guys. Like his, if you didn't, if Wahoo wasn't a wrestling fan or a wrestler, uh, you wouldn't have had Bill Watts get into wrestling, arguably, and then uh, uh, Blackjack Mulligan as well. So Wahoo was very um, influential. Of course, he would have played with Wahoo. Or no, Wahoo would have been gone to the Dolphins in 66. So they weren't on the Jets at the same time. But anyway, he he met him at some point there, got into wrestling. And then he has, Blackjack has um, uh, more um, connections to guys we've talked about in the past. He was initially trained by Joe Blanchard, so Tully's father, who played for the Edmonton Eskimos. And then later, Vern Gagne trained uh, a young Big Bob Windham, as he was known originally. Um, that's the youngest, uh, the pit, yeah, the youngest pitcher I could find of Blackjack. So that's roughly what he would have looked like as a football player, because um, that's from his basically his first year as a wrestler, I believe. So he started uh, around 1969. Those are the earliest results he could find as a wrestler, and wrestled until 1989 with I think maybe a couple matches uh comeback matches uh he was oh he was definitely on the first Slamboree uh card in like a, I think it was a six man tag uh that was in 1993 but he real his body broke down quite uh early he by the mid 80s he was if you've seen any blackjack Mulligan matches from around that time <laughs> they're not not pretty we're going to talk about a match that he had uh, from 1978 which w- when he was still in his peak Form as a wrestler, and I think he he accounted himself quite well. He was a major wrestling star in the 70s and 80s. There's a great cover. I've had that image saved on my phone like long before uh, this. Uh, the touchdowns to turnbuckles was even an idea <laughs> I had that because mm-hmm. I came across that online. It's just awesome. I love the the bloody covers from that era. Um, Harley Race is the one who's uh, the victim of the claw that was uh, Blackjack's. Uh, finisher too, just like the Von Eriks, but uh, Blackjack's gimmick was with the black glove and the black glove was loaded and it would make the claw uh, more dangerous. Uh, But yeah, Harley race is just bleeding buckets there. Uh, Blackjack was also uh, bleeding. Uh, So great cover. Yeah. Blackjack was a big star in the seventies and eighties. And of course was the father of Barry Wyndham and, and the whole uh, family that came From that, uh, you know, so you can say that like the Wyndham sort of family dynasty or whatever, uh, definitely a lot of uh, pro wrestlers came out of that. And he lived until April 7th, 2016. And yeah, so a, a brief cup of coffee in the AFL, but a cup of coffee nonetheless for Blackjack Mulligan.
0: Kelly, the last guy we got here is the big cat, Ernie Ladd. Tell us all about Ernie. Yeah, yeah, like you said,
1: the big cat. There he is, number 99, rocking like his uh, Kansas City Chiefs colors at that point as a wrestler. And yeah, probably I guess Ladd would be the biggest uh, football star we've talked about since Bronco Nagurski way back in episode one because Ladd had a pretty accomplished run in the AFL in the 1960s. Uh, he was born November twenty eighth, nineteen thirty eight, in Rayville, Louisiana. Uh, like Blackjack Mulligan, he was also six foot nine, and about the same weight, two hundred and ninety pounds. Uh, yes, he was. He was a massive man, uh, one of the tallest, I think, at the time, probably tallest uh, football players ever, and was one of the taller wrestlers for the you know the entirety of his wrestling career. So he played defensive tackle at Grambling State. Um, famous uh, college, black college, in the Mm. late 1950s, early 60s. And he was pretty uh, highly regarded coming out of college. There he is with the Chargers. Great. He was super young at that time. Um, He was drafted by the Chicago Bears in the fourth round, 48th overall, and by the San Diego Chargers in the 15th round, 119th overall, in the 1961 draft and i think the story goes that he th- was planning on signing with the bears with the established nfl but the afl because they were the you know junior league they had to be more aggressive uh courting uh draft picks getting them to sign and they were very aggressive with lad they basically you know kidnapped him as he would put it and uh you know kept him away from any bears uh people from the bears organization and made sure he signed a contract with the chargers. He was probably offered more money and yeah, he went to the chargers, which, uh, you know, it would have been interesting him going to the bears because the bears in the early sixties were still, you know, quite good, still coached by George Alice known for their defense. would have been interesting to uh, see him on the Chicago bears defense, but he went to the chargers And was an immediate star. He played for the Chargers for five years, 61 to 65. And most of his accolades in the AFL come from his days with the Chargers, where he was a four-time All-Star, three-time All-Pro. And but he moved on. He went to the Houston Oilers 1966-67. And then midway through the 67 season, I guess he was traded to the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs, and played with them for the rest of 67 and 1968 and unfortunately didn't uh, go one more year because if he did and stayed on the chiefs, he would have uh, been a super bowl champion because in 1969, the chiefs won super bowl four over the Minnesota Vikings. So yeah, Ernie missed out on a super bowl by one year. He played almost the entirety of the NFL or AFL's existence while well, it's eight years, 61 to 68. He is a member of the Chargers Hall of Fame and the Chargers 50th anniversary team. I thought he was also a member of the AFL All-1960s team. I remember hearing that or reading that before, uh, but I couldn't find that this time around. But anyway, yeah, he was a highly regarded football player um, as the uh, accolades. And he got into wrestling right away his first year as a pro football player. He also got into wrestling in California uh, with the old LA territory. And he was a babyface face uh, for quite a few years because he was a football star. And yeah, usually you would be a babyface if you're a football star or still playing football. Um, but the Ernie Ladd everybody uh, knows and hates was a heel and one of the great heels of the 1970s. Uh, I think it was right at the end of the 60s, right at the end of his Football career, maybe even after his football career had ended, that he went heel for the first time. And I think it was in New York for uh, Vince Sr., uh, and had a big run with Bruno at that time. He would be brought back uh, multiple times to the New York Territory to the WWWF in the 70s. I think he had a run with Pedro Morales. He had, definitely had a second run with Bruno. We're going to be talking about that in a bit. But yeah, he was a major, major wrestling star. That, yeah, like like I said, like comparing them to Bronco Nagurski, they were both like their their football fame and their wrestling fame were almost equal. They were stars in both. And he was the king of wrestling. He'd often wear a crown. His promos are great. If you can find some of his old 70s promos, there's a classic one with a young Vince McMahon where he mm-hmm. just, you know, he was just, yeah, you may have saw it. It's, I know it's, what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it was uh, highlighted on, on the WWE Network, and it, it's quite well-known. But, yes, he was a great talker. Not so much a great, when he uh, retired from wrestling and went commentary. For some reason, he, that, that just didn't transfer. His talking ability he was not a great commentator, much like superstar Billy Graham, too. Uh, Graham, of course, was a great promo, but not a good uh, wrestling commentator yeah. for not whatever weird. reason. Yeah. Um yeah, 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 a lot of cliches and just no substance at all. But anyway, yeah, Ernie Ladd, one of the greats that we've talked about, one of the great heels in wrestling history, and he passed away March the tenth, two thousand seven. And yeah, so it, it's that's that's the AFL, Ryan. We've uh, like I said, we had two biggies, Wahoo and Ernie, and then two uh, kind of questionable guys. But uh, still, we had to talk about Wahoo and Ernie because they accomplished uh, as much in pro football as, as any of the guys we've talked about so far.
0: Yeah, really, uh, two pillar guys as we kind of build up our depth chart. Speaking yeah. of that depth chart, Kelly, let's jump right into it. All right, Kelly, we are here with the depth chart, like I just said, and let's start with an easy one. Big Cat Ernie Ladd, he, as you just talked about, he's a stud. Now, would you put him over? Ron Simmons as a defensive tackle, or is Ron Simmons still our, our, our dude at defensive tackle?
1: I think the tiebreaker has to go to to pro success, and Ernie had a lot of pro success. Of, of course, Ron didn't. So, yeah, yeah, it was, as yeah, much, as, you know, Ron was a very accomplished, and the size, yeah, of course. Ron was a very accomplished uh, college player, but, but Big Cat yeah, did it on the biggest stage, or, well, uh, second biggest
0: stage, but uh, a big stage nonetheless. Very good. And then Wahoo, he's kind of a swing guy here. Would you prefer him on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball?
1: Well, linebacker was his, you know, prime position. Um, we can definitely use him to punt. Um, yes. we could use more receivers. He didn't play receiver in the AFL, but he was a receiver in in college with Oklahoma. So that you know, it's tempting to put them in wide receivers since we don't have, we actually, we have zero wide receivers as of this moment linebacker. Well, we're going to, we're going to need at least two. Um, I mean, we could, uh, we're talking about a lot of old school guys. Wahoo could definitely go two ways if we need to play uh, offense and defense. Uh, But uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll leave them here. And we'll make yeah. our final decision. Perhaps he plays both ways. And then uh, Pritchard, would you put him ahead of Wahoo? What do you think? That's a good question.
1: Yeah. Um. Because Wahoo was no slouch in the AFL. Pritchard had a long career. Neither, uh, I think, any ha- had any accolades. Like, so there's no tiebreaker. Like, if say one of them had made the Pro Bowl, we could say, well, that's the tiebreaker. Yeah. But neither uh, played on a or on a pro bowl or an all pro or any of that. Well, I mean, let's use the tiebreaker as the wrestling uh, accomplishments. And, and that's an easy one. We'll go. Wahoo. <laughs> yeah. Wahoo was much more accomplished as a wrestler.
0: Usually on, on the defensive side of the ball, you have like a Mike, which is your strong side. And then you have a, another middle linebacker, which kind of call him a whip and they kind of yeah. do the same thing, but the, the stronger ones, you know, to the strength of the defense. So we'll figure mm-hmm. that out. You know, later on, and then yep. black Jack Mulligan here. We uh, we kind of just felt that offensive tackle being six foot five, uh, six foot nine, excuse nine. me,
1: yeah,
0: was probably the best place for him. And it's a need too because we got little <laughs> old Bill Watts there. So, uh, I think it's <laughs> yes. safe if we just kind of put him ahead of Bill and we stick him right at right tackle and we have Lex Luger as our left tackle. Easy, there day. you go.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's an easy call. Um, definitely, by his size, he could you know fit right in there. Uh, we don't have to make things complicated.
0: And, and and looking here with one episode left, I think it's easy to say that our strength is easily our defense, still, uh, especially our yes. defensive line. Our offensive line is seems to be okay. Uh, our running back is obviously our, our probably our best player, Nagurski. And yep. then we'll kind of figure it out as we go. Wrestling wise, our tight ends are fun. 1985 written all over it. Tito Santana and Paul Orndorff. <laughs> But, uh, yes, it's pretty cool how we got going on here. We also have a swing of ter- of uh, Dory Funk Jr. We could put an offensive tackle too that we talked about earlier. So we'll yeah. see next episode what we kind of decide to do at the end here.
1: Yeah, yeah, we still need a secondary. <laughs> we'll have to.
0: uh be we'll creative. I got, idea. creative. I got yeah, ideas. You got ideas. I'll I'll leave it in your hands. Then. I got ideas. All right, Kelly, let's jump over to the match recommendations. Okay, Kelly, we uh, we didn't really go out and get recommendations from other people as the, we're kind of talking about the 60s and the 70s here, and the mm-hmm. footage really isn't that deep. So we just kind of mm-hmm. left it in your hands to give one recommendation for Ernie, Blackjack, and Wahoo. And like you said earlier in the episode, there wasn't much on Pritchard. So the first no, match you, you recommend here is from Wahoo, it is Wahoo McDaniels versus Nick Bockwinkle in a singles match for the AWA World Heavyweight Championship on August 28, 1983 for the AWA in St. Paul, Minnesota. It is 19 minutes. And Kelly, I thought this was decent. I don't have my star rating in here. And I went, I went three and a half stars. I thought it was solid. And Wahoo was actually pretty impressive. this is later on in his career too. And of course, Bachwinkle is a stud. They had the big lights and the big curtains of a title match in, you know, AWA country, but overall Mm -hmm. I thought Wahoo, especially his strikes was rather impressive as I not really have honestly watched a lot of him. What'd you think of this match, Kelly?
1: Uh, Yeah. I'm a big fan of this match. I'd seen it before. It's yeah. One of what, like in, in the PWO circles, it's one of Wahoo's more highly regarded matches. It was a, I think a find of the, night or the awa set that uh uh goodwill put together about a decade yeah, ago um it was it's a fan cam uh match it was shot i, I guess by someone in the crowd so we don't have commentary yeah There's it was no, uh,
0: one one camera shot
1: <laughs> yeah um but still it was it's good like they they catch pretty much everything um it was a no disqualification match so we have tons of violence oh, chairs shit. being used uh, Wahoo bleeds, like I said, uh, that was his, one of his specialties, and yeah, I mean, I love Bachwinkle too, so yeah, this is this was a really good one. I went four stars, I thought about three and a half, but I mean, if you have uh, gritty violence, blood, you know, just a feeling of like this is two guys that hate each other, I love those kind of matches, so that bumped it up for me to four. Um, I love the finish that you yeah. know this was a no dq match so chairs were legal so wa- or uh Bachwinkle just waffles wahoo with a chair and then instead of just pinning them he actually gets on top of him and punches him in the face and mm-hmm. then pins them so that was great like so how many matches uh end with a punch to the face like that as a finisher uh
0: great no, I finish. lie, I'm, probably, I'm probably pretty low on this uh like I said, I, I, maybe I perhaps was distracted while watching it, but I felt that this had the most energy. In uh, this is probably the match I enjoyed the most out of these three for sure. Yeah. Um, I thought Wahoo looked excellent like i said earlier so it's uh interesting i didn't know that good old will found this one and it's and now that you say it was a a a fan recording it makes a Mm -hmm. lot of sense perhaps maybe where if that was more slickly recorded it probably would have helped the the quality of the uh, of the video in the match of course so interesting Mm -hmm. stuff now real quick where was wahoo in his career here in 1983 he's probably on the back nine right how how is he uh relatively do you think
1: I think like uh, as far as his uh, reputation at the time he was still considered a top guy a main eventer but yeah he was he was starting to show his age and he by the end of the 80s he was he was done but he still like as this match shows he had still uh, a bit in the tank and and you know didn't look uh, out of place i mean Bockwinkle was was equally uh, old at this point in time actually older I'm, I'm yeah, because Wah- or uh, was nearing 50 at this point. Uh, the AWA was you know, a territory kind of uh, made up of a lot of old guys at this time, um, which is one of the the criticisms, big criticisms they get for the end of their run in the 80s is that they had too many old guys. but this was yeah, this was good. But yeah, I mean, there's a great match if you want to look more into Wahoo uh, from 1978, uh, Houston. Okay. It's uh, easily available on YouTube against Harley Race for the NWA title, and it's a great, great match. Um, So that one's out there for sure. Uh, But yeah, uh, Wahoo kind of fell into that. You know, he has a legendary feud with Johnny Valentine that people always talk about, but that happened at a time where pre-VCR, there's some stuff out there from the garbage tapes. We're going to be talking about a garbage tape match uh, in a second here. uh from the carolinas in the 70s uh but yeah um no so yeah look out for the harley race match from 78 i thought about recommending that one uh too it was a coin flip between this one and, and the Bachwinkle one because i really like both but i hadn't seen this one in a long time so i wanted to see if it, it held up and i i thought it did
0: No, yeah, for sure good stuff all right the next guy we have is ernie lad the big cat versus bruno san martino in a title match for the WWF championship on March 1st, 1976, and the WWF Madison Square Garden, New York, New York, nine minutes and 20 seconds. Kelly, I thought that this was was good, but perhaps a bit boring to an extent for for maybe modern eyes, but I definitely Mm. felt the aura and the star power in the history and the prestige of both these guys and the overness, really. Uh, I thought Cat looked good enough, but um, maybe a little plotting, so to speak. So I'm going to give this a gentleman's three. What did you think of this, Kelly? I gave it the exact
1: same rating, three. And I'm a huge Bruno guy. I I picked this one because it's in full. It's during arguably a lad's peak as a wrestler, it's a huge mm-hmm. match, you know, against Bruno for the, the WWF strap in New York and Madison square garden. Um, and there isn't a ton of like prime lad footage out there either. Kind of like Wahoo. And yeah, it plotting is a good description. Cause I think, I mean, clearly the years of uh, football had uh, wreaked havoc on Ernie lad he was uh like
0: a little tight in the hips. <laughs> ye-
1: yeah. I mean, he was a guy who got by on his promo skills. He talked people into the building. You love to hate him. Mm-hmm. Uh people paid money to come see him lose. They weren't paying to come to see Ernie put on a five-star work grade masterpiece. That wasn't his uh uh his job. Uh, but yes, even compared to the Bruno opponents from this time, this is definitely one of the lesser matches. Uh, so hopefully this isn't the only uh, Bruno match a lot of people watch because there's tons of great Bruno stuff out yeah. there. Uh, but Vlad, I, yeah, I, I could have maybe looked deeper to see what there was, but this one came to mind right away, and I hadn't watched it in a long time. And, yeah, it was actually, yeah, it, it's one of the lesser of Bruno's matches from that era. But still, I mean, it showed Ernie's gimmick working with his uh, taped thumb. That was his gimmick in wrestling for years and years that the tape thumb was somehow like a deadly weapon uh always to the throat uh, of his adversaries so this match uh you got a ton of the tape thumb gimmick the finish was pretty weak sauce with yeah. uh, <laughs> bruno moving before uh lad even uh jumped off the top rope uh you saw the finish coming a mile away he misses the splash and then Bruno immediately pins him. You could almost feel like Bruno thinking, okay, that's, I've had enough. This is it. It's over. <laughs> We're going home, Ernie. Uh, yeah. Cause it was short too. It was less than 10 minutes. Not that Bruno. Yeah. Bruno was not a guy that uh, had to have short matches. He could work long matches too, but yeah, this was a, this was a short one. And this was the only, I believe this was the only um, match that Ernie had at MSG against Bruno during this run. So that shows you that Vince Sr. didn't have a ton of faith in him because usually you would get at least two if you were any kind of uh, a heel of, uh, of drawing power at the time. Sometimes you would get three. So Ernie only got one. So that says something. They brought him back uh, when Backlund was champion in 78, and that match is out there. I think that match is, is better than this one, but it's been a long time since I've seen that one too. But anyway, it it, it showcases Lad. But it's unfortunately, it's not a like a really sterling uh, match to say, oh, I got to see more any lad matches. That's for sure.
0: And from a historical standpoint, these are two massive, massive names. You know what I mean? So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's cool, but a little disappointing. Yeah. With the buildup of the massive names. But eh, it is what it is, Kelly. Yeah. I would definitely check it out, though. Nine minutes and 20 seconds. You're not going to waste your time. You wouldn't feel like no. you wasted your time. No. All right, and the last match we have here is Black Jack Mulligan versus the Masked Superstar in a Lumberjack match from September 3rd, 1978. This is from Mid-Atlantic in Charlotte, North Carolina, nine minutes and 45 seconds. Kelly, this felt that it was maybe perhaps like stitched together. It felt like it was like in and out at times. The quality was kind of poor at, at, at best. But man, the heat was electric. Um, <laughs> yeah. I felt maybe perhaps if I was more invested into the feud, I would have been more invested to the match. But mm-hmm. I went three and a quarter stars. Like I said, it was pretty good action, but a mix of the two matches. You know, we had the, the great work rate in the Wahoo match with Balkwinkle, and then we kind of had the plotting nature of the bruno and ernie match i think this was maybe perhaps like a mix of it but man whenever Blackjack would fire up and go for that fucking hit ha- go for that hammer the crowd would <laughs> even go up and it felt <laughs> like the crowd was like a piped in wwf crowd now during like the <laughs> pandemic era where they would just pipe in new uh noise constantly yeah, yeah, yeah. But this uh this like there's said, no announcing it felt like it was a one cam maybe maybe we'll yeah. throw this together add added crowd noise i think we'll have to reach out and see but yeah. uh Overall, I thought it was good to an extent. I thought that maybe if I was more, like I said, if I was more invested into this feud, it felt hot. It uh, it just worked. It just felt like it was uh, maybe room temperature instead of boiling. At But I, that might be my investment. What would you think, Kelly? Uh,
1: Yeah, no, the, the crowd heat was legit. You no, know, this wasn't piped in. Um, yeah, that's the first thing that hit me too is like, oh man, these crowds were just so nuclear hot. This was a, like a seventies was a glory period for the Carolinas for Crockett, uh, blackjack Mulligan at this point had turned babyface and was basically the biggest, biggest baby face in the territory at the time, which as if you watch this match, you can see the crowd is just going nuts. Women are jumping up and down. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just nutty. Uh, mass superstar was a great heel. The future, uh, demolition acts, of course, Bill Eadie yeah. and, Yeah, this was from the Garbage Tapes, which I referenced before. And the Garbage Tapes, the the name comes from uh, the fact they were recovered from the literal garbage by Jim Cornette in the 80s when I think like a lot of this stuff had been filmed in the 70s. Um, I'm not sure why it was filmed. I think some of it maybe was uh, shown in clips on the TV shows. But anyway, there was a, a whole bunch of reels that whoever was in charge felt that there was no value to them, threw them in the garbage. Cornette, of course, was already, had been a a school or a a wrestling historian, uh, a student of wrestling history, and he knew what was being tossed away was valuable, so he recovered it, and then they started circulating from there. There's a lot out there on YouTube of uh, various, some are, like, very short, just a couple minutes long. There's a very long... Uh, Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair match with Andre the Giant as the referee from, I think, the same year, 78. That's almost, I think, maybe complete, but there's hardly any complete uh, garbage tape matches. This one, we're definitely missing the beginning of the match, Uh, but I don't think we missed. I don't think too much was missing, Uh, and there's a few clips throughout. Um, Yeah, like I said, and like you said, the crowd is just nuclear hot. It's a lumberjack match. Yeah, so you get a lot of action with the Lumberjacks. You get fighting with the Lumberjacks on the outside. Um, I recognized Rene Goulet as one of the Lumberjacks, uh, who was Sergeant Jacques Goulet at the time. Um, And I think uh, uh, Dick Murdoch's one of the Lumberjacks out there. Um, But a lot of guys I didn't recognize. Anyway, yeah, um, there's a slow part where uh, uh, I I guess uh, Mass Superstar's finish was the Cobra Clutch. Um, and he had it on Mulligan for quite a long time. But uh, yeah, uh, cool ending. This apparently was a long feud. I read just a little bit about it last night. This was the culmination of quite a long feud, and uh, Mulligan did rip off Superstar's mask at the end, but of course he quickly left the ring, covered his face. Um, It wasn't a mask, or the mask wasn't online, or maybe it was, I I don't know. But uh, Mask Superstar never lost his mask officially, as far as I know. And so you had that. It was, yeah, it's, it's a, a good snapshot or a great snapshot of a what was like a golden period for the Crockett territory uh, with nuclear crowds with just uh, like their roster at the time was uh, who's who of Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, uh, all in their primes. Uh, it, was, it was just, yeah, a great time. So this one, like I said earlier, Mulligan, kind of like Ernie Ladd, doesn't have a ton of uh, matches that make them look great on tape out there. So I thought this with mass superstar would, would be a good, a uh, good chance. Plus I just wanted to see this match. I love mass superstar. I'd never <laughs> seen this before. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to, to give it a, if I should give it a rating or not, but yeah, it was almost complete. So yeah, I'm going to go three and a half on this one. Uh, definitely better. Uh, if, maybe if we yeah. were
0: fully invested in the feud and, yeah. We, it just felt like it was stitched together and it was kind of like a twitchy watch, but overall mm-hmm. you cannot deny that crowd heat and the excitement that they felt for this match. Good stuff. Great stuff, Kelly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. This may be, I mean, we're not going to, we're, we got the NFL guys next time. And I, it just occurred to me, we may not have uh, the greatest of matches uh, to look <laughs> at, but we'll find, well, we need to end on a high note. So. We'll see. Well, I I want to have at least one more, like, really awesome match to talk about. So we'll see what I can find for for the NFL
0: guys. We'll figure it out, buddy. We'll figure it out. All right. But speaking of uh, ending seasons, let's jump into (laughs) our team. God. What is going on? If we must. (laughs) Today, as of recording, we'll just get my sad snap out of the way. Legendary coach, probably the best coach in NFL, AFL no pun intended history of football, Bill Belichick. um, I don't think he's mutually parting ways, perhaps maybe one day we'll find out, but uh, he seems to be no longer the coach of the new England Patriots. Uh, I think very quickly he will find a home as he should. He's about 15 wins away from setting the all time record in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I hope one day he gets that record from that sneaky, sneaky Don Shula, who is (laughs) extremely overrated, but anyways, that's for another day. Um, I'm curious where Bill ends up. I think Atlanta and Washington are the are probably the most likely outings. I think if I would put money on it, I would say Atlanta for sure. Uh, but then there's reports of a sneaky team, perhaps a uh, an NFC East team. Perhaps if uh, the Dallas Cowboys do not have any Ooh. success this weekend, that's uh, that seems like a marriage that could work or her, perhaps. If the Philadelphia Eagles and this punk Nick Sirianni can't figure it out this weekend, hopefully Belichick lands could land there and direct them to an all-star cast of roster that he could propel them to where they need to go. So I'm curious who this mystery team is. The Chargers also make sense. Um, I don't know, Kelly. I'm uh, I'm conflicted. I'm uh, yeah. It's kind of right, like Brady all over again. Yeah. Without the. Uh, Without the drama, because it's it's definitely now it's definitely the end of an era. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. from the Patriots' standpoint, it seems like Gerard Mayo was the pick all along. Uh, I don't think there's any collusion or anything. I just think that it's mm-hmm. Jonathan's kind of team now. Uh, Bob seems to be on the on the back end of his involvement here. Of course, Jonathan wants to put a stamp on it. Uh, why not go to a trusted hand that's been great to the organization? Save a little face. Go, Gerard Mayo, but there is a sparkly new toy out there of Nate with the name of Mike Vrabel, who has all the yeah. attributes of the sh- of the you know the old guard and the Alora of the Patriots, but is a proven mm-hmm. kick-ass motherfucking great coach uh, mm-hmm. who you know. But he might I don't know. I'm conflicted. I think it's going to be an end up Mayo. I prefer Vrabel, but uh, either way, sad day, bad day, end of an era. Uh, I hope Belichick. Kind of winds up getting the record like he deserves, greatest coach of all time, six Super Bowl champions with the Patriots. Uh, just I could go on and gush about him all day. Him and Tom Brady will go down as the best tandem of all time, Kelly. And uh, it was kind of good to vent about it all and and just let it out. As it's kind of a, just been an overall meh kind of day from that aspect. But uh, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: uh, before we go to the meh Philly delphia eagles do you would you like to say any any words for bill you were one and one versus person in the super bowl
1: yeah yeah thank god we got that one uh win two and zero would have been so much sweeter of course since i would have
0: given well, uh and like we got 700 fucking yards against you guys in 2017 <laughs> and bill and Bill let up fucking 41 points to whatever it was to freaking nick foals
1: <laughs> i know i know it was it was a magic moment for sure and 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 Someone call it a fucking special, a Philly special. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Hey, I mean, you've got six titles, you know, share the wealth, buddy. There's nothing uh, better but seven. Only seven's better. <laughs> lucky right, number continue. seven. Uh, it, and it also prevented uh, you guys from having a three peat, and nobody's ever uh, three peated. Oh, nice. uh, you won the next year. So, anyway. Um, Belichick, I mean, I can't say that I, I love the guy because, you know, of course the Eagles you lost better to respect him them. and got You know, 4 Well, of course I respect him. And, I, I, hey, I was just half-jokingly thinking earlier today, now that he's free, that, you know, the Eagles should shell out some money and just get him to be a defensive coordinator <laughs> for the playoff <laughs> no, game. He's
0: getting that head coaching record. Now, can I throw a well, scenario just, just at just you? Borrow him.
1: Just, just, just for the rest of the however long this season is, just pay him, you know, whatever. lurie is. Larry's got a lot of money. Just give him five million dollars to come in and uh, and take he over can still the defense. Defensive ball. Yeah. All no, day. I, I mean, I I highly respect his his defensive uh, uh, mind. That's for sure. And, but yeah, I mean, everything always comes uh, – you know eventually comes to an end. What a crazy two days it's been with Saban. Uh, Carol and, and Carol. Belichick, these things come in threes, I guess that's the saying, and it's true. Uh three big legends, all, all uh either retiring or being pushed out the door uh in, in the span of two days. Um yeah, it wouldn't it it would be I can't believe Atlanta may be the team that Belichick ends up considering Atlanta's, you know, still hasn't gotten over the 28 to 3 choke job from that super bowl <laughs>
0: kind of funny would We'd this be, be, be like a way of running.
1: exercising the demons from that by bringing back the guy who who did it to them i don't know um Atlanta has a lot of talent they need a quarterback of course but uh they got a lot of uh skilled uh
0: offensive players that's for sure pretty good to heralded offensive line too uh, how about division. this little package Bill Belichick is your head coach. Josh McDaniels is your offensive coordinator. Can't go wrong there. You can say what you want about him as a head coach. Not a leader, but he is a very good offensive coordinator. And maybe maybe Belichick's boy who, re- who resigned the day before, retired the day before, retired from college football, and comes to D.C. for Belichick in Atlanta. Nick Saban comes in and, go- and goes right into Georgia Bulldog country and brings oh, the Atlanta wow. Falcons
1: that's some yeah that's pro wrestling booking right right there
0: there. that's also not happening but i think it's a fun lane to go down
1: well they can take you know if they want to put a staff together quickly they can take uh patricia from the eagles please (laughs) take them away i mean oh god okay we'll get into the eagles now because you know it's it's been bad um i'm wearing my new christmas present jersey finally got a new jersey it is uh, Devontae Smith, not uh, DeAndre okay. Swift. <laughs> looks like Andre Swift right now. There we yeah, go. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Zero six, zero 06, Anyway, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really bad month. Um, two I've been a fan. Now. I've been a, yeah. Well, it's going on two months now. Uh, I've been a fan since 1990, so I've seen it all. Um, uh, nothing really phases me. Um, uh, The one thing that gets to me is that, you know, the people who come out and now they say, oh, look, we were right. Last year was a fluke, blah, 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 and all that crap. Um, Other than that, I mean, it it happens. Uh, But I was reading some interesting numbers about the Eagles collapse yesterday. Apparently, they're only the second team to ever start 10-1 and in the Super Bowl era and not win the division. (laughs) Joining... The 1986 New York Jets. That's <laughs> the only other team. Oh uh, and god! It, and of course, it had to be the Jets. You know, they've been suffering for a long time, but and they're also the only ten and one team to not win at least twelve games in a season. The only that's one terrible. ever. So it's been, yeah, it's it's bad. And it's thankfully, not like they have added an extra game to the schedule either, Kelly.
0: Just to add yeah, on to
1: it. that's true. Uh, and thankfully, uh, old uh, coach Dougie Pease. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars had an even bigger collapse (laughs) than the Eagles, arguably since they missed the playoffs, at least the Eagles uh, made the playoffs, but it's going to be tough because their defense is as bad as they've ever had in my time as a fan. Uh, They're just, they can't stop anybody like they, they, they couldn't stop. It wasn't like they were. They did lose, of course, to the the Niners and the Cowboys. But then they lost to the Cardinals and the Giants in in just embarrassing fashion. So it, it's not looking good. Actually, uh, you know, if if they were playing better, playing the Bucks would be the most favorable uh, wild card matchup because the Rams are hot and the Packers are hot, and those are the the two other uh, like lesser teams. So mm-hmm. the Eagles don't have to play them. Uh, but I don't the way they're playing the defense is playing and then and hurts his finger isn't right on his throwing hand. AJ Brown they still haven't said what's wrong with him. He hurt his knee. Uh, Devontae missed the last game. DeAndre Swift missed the last game. So it's just it's I, and then they, they have to string it out until Monday night, <laughs> the oh. very last game to the weekend.
0: Kelly, there's not a lot going on for us in our football teams, buddy. We we no, might want to continue these this episode just to give us some some good stuff going on here. <laughs> we could do, yeah. I know. I, I well,
1: you know, I don't get to talk about it with too many people because my you know, my 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 wife's not a fan of football. Um, I don't have like a huge group of friends here in Chilliwack like I once did when I was younger, living in Calgary, and we went to bars and watched uh, sports almost every day. It seemed like, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, like I said, I've been through all the ups and downs, so this isn't uh, this isn't uh, gonna crush me or anything. It'll be interesting to see what they can do for next year. It's there's no point in firing Sirianni. That would be, nah. that's, I, come on. I mean, the guys led them to three playoff seasons in three years, and you're gonna can them and a Super and Bowl appearance? Super like that's just that. I mean. Philly, of course, the the hardcore fans are, are overreacting to everything. But anyway, we'll see. May, I think they can beat the Bucs because the Bucks are definitely not a great team. But They're with the, the defense well. is just not yeah the defense is just not good enough to stop anybody. Sad to say. We'll
0: say Baker is beat up though. So and can you believe that Baker Bayfield being the wild card of his health being just kind of the state of where you guys are at right now?
1: I know, I know. It's 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 anyway. Good thing oh, it's not like yeah, my mother-in-law coming in the house hot right there. I oh, might right? leave this in. I might leave this in. <laughs> but... <laughs> She's upset about the Belichick being fired,
0: right? Oh boy. But uh either way, buddy, uh sad day, bad day for us. Uh I think that yeah. you guys could be okay this weekend, but you thought you would figure it out. And then there's a chance you guys might be going to Dallas in round two, so it's a familiar uh, It's Yes,
1: if Detroit loses to the Rams and the yeah. Eagles win and Cowboys win, there's also the possibility that the Eagles win and the Cowboys and Lions lose and the Eagles end up hosting uh, a second round game. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the, the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. No, the Cowboys, knowing their, if you know their history in the last 25 years in the postseason, they've lost tons of games that they were uh, hyped to win. And that would be you
0: guys um, facing the Rams, who's the, coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. That already went to Chicago uh, to Detroit the week before. So mm-hmm. no, but I, I
1: I don't I don't know. It, there's parallels in my mind to the the follow up to the Super Bowl season where they played the Bears in the playoffs and won with the double doink. I could see wow. that being like a a really sloppy uh, slog of a game that the Eagles win on Monday. I just I really. I, unless their defense suddenly, somehow, by some miracle, shows up, otherwise
0: they're going to give up like 30 points again, ge-
1: and I, I don't think they're capable of keeping up. <laughs> if, if
0: Baker Mayfield is not healthy, they're not going to score 30 points. It's yeah. going to be a struggle for them to score 30 points. It,
1: it, it uh. could be a really ugly game uh, for both sides. Who knows? Anyway, uh, if they win, fine. That that's, uh, I mean, losing is going to be, you know, the, you won't get to do anything about it for uh eight months or whatever that's always tough but anyway enough has been said <laughs> hopefully when so we the get next together, time we come
0: around yeah when we get the, uh, to... around it'll be around yeah. super bowl time i'm sure i'll have a new head coach belichick yeah. will have a new yeah. home yeah and you guys will probably be playing golf in hawaii Game somewhere play, playing so.
1: golf prepping for the draft too okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the uh the next episode is the nfl kelly so yes. uh, I'm excited for that one and it's the end and that's a sad day, bad day, but not Mm -hmm. as sad as bad day as today for as as Belichick was, but uh, that's it for now. Kelly, you got anything as we get out of here, pal?
1: No, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Next, uh, next time's the, the finale with the NFL guys. And yeah, there's going to be some interesting names. There's going to be some interesting matches probably to talk about too. And yeah, it'll be fun. We'll go out on top. We'll talk about guys like honorable mention guys that uh, Mm -hmm. we haven't discussed there's a lot of guys to to mention i'm sure it'll be yeah, a big uh, like jumbo sized finale episode yep good stuff kelly but for now we will see you on the next one buddy